ladies and gentlemen, friends and family all around the world. It's Greg. And it's Matt. And it's Jamie. And we're the bottom <laughs> tier, guys. Welcome back. We are super, super excited to be here, and we are super, super excited to have good friend of the show and local luminary, Jamie Bassett, back in the studio. Jamie, what's up, man? How you doing? How you guys doing? Oh, you know. <laughs> we're doing great, buddy. <laughs> Gotta love the laugh track. We're still we're still experimenting with the soundboard a little bit, guys. So please uh, please stick with us as we go through. Um, Matt, of course, lovely to be back here in the studio with you as well. How's Absolutely. it going, man? Doing great, great, doing awesome. It's we know we kind of banded together. Uh, we had a, a listener of the show. Shout out to Remley, uh, local local guy who we went together. Fab on the podcast. Dad, Fab Dad, hashtag Fab Dad, and uh, he said. I would love before the pre-release happens if we could or if you guys could go over optimal ways for drafting and things of that nature. Exactly. And so we're here, guys. We're here on a Saturday night. We are giving up our normal free time. Our partners are very upset at us to give you the info that you need. You may have noticed that this episode dropped a little bit early this week as well, um, specifically because we want to give you guys as much opportunity to hear whatever our inane thoughts are on this draft and what's good and what's bad before the pre-release events start up this coming weekend, um, which is one of the reasons we enlisted Jamie. Jamie is uh, is a phenomenal player of this game, uh, and he is really, really solid uh, at, uh, at the limited formats, your sealed decks, your drafts. Um, so we enlisted him to come on in and give us some thoughts on what he thinks the new set is going to be like, how viable everything's going to be in a sealed environment like that. Um, so we're mostly just, I guess we're, gonna, we're just going to go through the through the list, right? And take a look at a few things that stand out. And Yeah, some, like, some key cards, especially the commons and whatnot, because most of it's going to be sealed for the pre-release. So you kind of want a basic, basic strategy that the different heroes are going to want to have, and then the commons that'll support that so you kind of know where to start when you open your sealed pool. Perfection. So, Jamie, uh, you're uh, you're the big boss here for this particular thing. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, probably at Assassin, uh, the the new new ish hero. Kind Perfect. Of. Um, it's it's very interesting. You know, we got the the two heroes that we could go and sealed with the low life points. We got the Arachne and uh, Uzari. Uzuri. Uzuri. I think Uzuri. Uh, little Uzuri vert. Is what we called her. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> lapis lazuli. Oh my God! <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll just start at the the kind of the baseline for the heroes, you know. Perfect. It's it's interesting looking at Arachne being a nineteen life, but giving your first stealth card go again. It's it's both kind of an awkward place for him to be, like I feel like, and it also sort of reflects. Um, the power of the hero ability, just giving something go again like that is really, really good. And you're a little bit of an Arachne player. It, it seems to solve kind of an issue that Arachne had in Dynasty, where a lot of the stuff he could do, like, yeah, you can get a zero for three out there, but unless you have, you know, a Snapdragon Scalers or a, or a Razor Reflex or something like that, that's all you're doing that turn for the most part. Yeah, like the, the old Arachne that came out, you pretty much want to... It almost played like Warrior in a way where your whole deck was... Or the majority of your deck was three blocks, so you would block with like two cards, save two, and maybe like Dagger send a one for five or whatever or you know send a zero for four with an attack reaction so you were very like mid-rangey you know what i mean and you couldn't really be explosive yeah it, it, it 
I've, I've never really played uh, OG Arachne, but it seemed like it was really tough to get momentum behind. Um, um, yes. Which it seems like this is going to go a long way in kind of rectifying. Right. And it's going to be interesting, too, that this one focuses on the stealth cards. So it puts the um, the contract cards kind of in a weird spot with this Arachne because they're, they're t- two separate camps in a way. And I think it's on purpose because... Uh, the set obviously doesn't have any contract cards in it. So for draft and seal, they wanted to make sure Rackney was viable without having to create two new heroes, I would say. So I think this is why we see this like Arachne be a little bit different just so that you could play that sealed and draft event. Right. Uh, the, the one thing I'm worried about with Arachne is a lot of the stealth cards are like zero for threes, especially the commons. So it's going to... I'm just worried he's going to feel like a worse Katsu in a way. Kind of, right? Like, it, it seems like a really tricky place for him to be in mechanically. Um, because just like you said, most of the cards that he has access to that will benefit from his ability are relatively low power. Um, they're pretty easy to get out. But because they're not swinging in for too much, unless you have, you know, one of those assassin reactions in hand, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be, you know, swinging twice for three, maybe get a dagger in there. Um, so you're going to be presenting maybe six or seven damage each turn, which is not like, especially against like a bulkier build, like a riptide or something like that's going to be really tricky. Right. I, I feel like he is going to play kind of the same way that the old Arachne did in CC where you're like block with two, three blocks and send two zero for threes. Um, we're just going to have to see how the limited meta shakes out if that's good enough, because on paper, it sounds just almost like a better Benji because, you know, Benji's like sending the two attacks that can't be blocked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, as weird as it sounds, it sounds like a better Benji except for against Benji because then you can't block. So <laughs> it's kind of Right, weird. so it, it's, it's a beautiful rock, paper, scissors thing they have going on. Um, what's really interesting to me about this is that Arachne is at 19 with arguably, you know, a, a usable hero ability, but not necessarily the best. Whereas Uzuri has a hero ability that can absolutely be abused the hell out of. Oh, and yeah. she gets full health. Oh, yeah. Azuri, I think Azuri is not only going to be one of the best heroes in this limited environment, but I think she's going to do quite well in the uh, CC once the set comes out. Because a big problem with the Assassin class pre this set was that if you've got fully blocked, especially with Arachne, you couldn't get the silvers, you couldn't recur your armor and trigger those on hits and make them fatigue themselves. No black techs, and the deck just stops working. Yeah, it just stopped in its tracks, right? Where with Azuri, it's really hard to optimally block because of her ability, her activation. Do you want to give a quick overview on how that works? Yeah, so so the long story short of it with Azuri is that as an attack reaction, if you play a card with stealth on the link, and we all stare at Jamie awkwardly as he opens a beverage. Awkward. <laughs> Saturday night, we're allowed to do this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we uh, guys, we, <laughs> we are indulging in some adult beverages. Uh, if you have a moral stance against that, we apologize deeply. Uh, please feel free to turn this episode off and go back to whatever you were doing previously. Um, so, so, so long and the short of Missouri is that as an attack reaction, if you play a card with stealth on the link, you can swap that out basically with any other attack action card that costs two or less. You banish it face down, you flip it face up, and then you swamp it into the link. So if you're playing against an Azuri, they can be coming in for one of those zero threes with stealth that we were talking about a second ago from this set. But then all of a sudden, surprise, it's, you know, it's Command and Conquer or it's Enlightened Strike or it's got Pursuit of Knowledge or something like that. Um, Oh, that's a good one. Right? 
Um, so there's a lot of flexibility in this and there's a lot of unknown that you get. You can never quite be sure whether or not she's just coming in for that three or if she has a six something in hand that she's going to swing in with after. So it's almost like it's almost like playing against like a warrior like Dory or something uh, with the kind of anticipation that you're going to have to end up doing. Yeah. And a, another important caveat to this ability is is when you activate the reaction, the stealth card goes back on the bottom of your deck. Yeah. It so recycles. It yeah. So it helps fight fatigue which is interesting you could just wear it down because if your opponent blocks your three attack with two three blocks or whatever a three to two block you're just like cool arsenal pass yeah i'm, I'm just holding on to the c and c guys don't don't worry about it all right it'll exactly. show up later um, um so i guess my question for limited and sealed then is uh as we talked about these two assassins when i'm drafting and i want to go that route uh, where where would I choose to go Asuri or where would I choose to be more Arachne? So one of the key commons that you want to look at is uh, the isolate card. So it's a zero for three, two, or one, depending on pitch value, blocks three, mm -hmm. but it's a stealth and dominate card. So you're looking at this this card that you're sending across, even if it's the blue one, you know, zero for one dominate, they can only put one card on there. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could swap it out for any two cost with Azuri. That's like the the backbone of an Azuri for draft, for okay. sure. Uh, and then, of course, like two costs, two for sixes, which we can get into a little bit later. Um, and then even on top of that, like even if you, like, you're playing Azuri, you don't get like the specialization, you don't have one of those commons in hand. If you come up with something like Sneak Attack, um, which is uh, red, blue, red, yellow, blue, three, two, one uh, for two, um, it has the effect where if you've played or activated an attack reaction this turn, it gains plus four. So all of a sudden, instead of coming in for, you know, three, you're coming in for seven right. off of this, you know, reaction off of the dominate that you were talking before. So you're basically guaranteed to push three or four damage through regardless of what they do. Exactly. That's the perfect, like, second half to the Azuri combo. Whereas when you're looking at uh, Arachne, the common Prowl is really his bread and butter. Again, it's a zero for a three, two, or one with three blocks stealth card. But uh, it says your next stealth attack gets buffed. Granted, it's only a buff of one, but because of Arachne, this card's going to have go again. So this is kind of the way you, you force those breakpoints with the stealth cards with Arachne. You zero for three, then a zero for four. It doesn't even matter the rest of the text of the card. You know, that's that's on rate, slightly above rate. You're just going to leak damage and uh, and just keep that pressure up so that right. they're always on their toes, kind of making that decision. Do I want to take the three or do I want to block the three? Exactly. When I know that there's a four that's going to come in, you know, next card. Is it worth it to take this three and full block the four? Or do I take, you know, none here one next turn and hope that they don't, you know, have something else, you know, being held back right because there's the the razor's edge in this set which is the zero for plus one two or three for um stealth cards it's the attack reaction you know uh which is just that's the big thing with arachne is it it again i'm gonna compare it a lot to warriors because it feels like it it occupies that same space where it's it's really hard to block optimally against because you will never have full information they have attack reactions up the wazoo and just like tricks you know and that's that's how they're going to eke out games it's kind of a i would say something that a person who wants to kind of metagame or test their limits with decision making would kind of <laughs> lean towards there 
please excuse that random sound that happened in the background. Uh, we uh, were playing around with some of our tech setup. But yeah, um, uh, Assassin definitely feels a lot like a warrior, um, especially just like flavor wise is very similar. It's that same kind of like back and forth kind of hack, 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 hack kind of play style. Um, definitely very comfortable sort of in the mid-range, which is interesting. Um, the game itself has been really focused on aggro for the last cycle or so, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, your hyper, hyper aggro decks have seen a lot of success and your tankier, more control decks have seen a lot of success. And mid-range has kind of been left out. So it, it's, it feels like with Assassin, they're trying to pull things back towards the middle a little bit and make that sort of wider sort of play style a little bit more effective. For sure, and an important component to that is the disruption. The the other two commons I want to highlight for Assassin are the the Wither and Sedate. Absolutely. Again, they follow the three two one for red, yellow, blue, block three, attack for, oh yeah, three two one. But the big thing is they're on hit with these new status effects. Um, the Sedate gives you the Inertia token, which is. A very interesting one. That's the one where at the end of your turn, you have to discard your hand and lose your arsenal, Mm -hmm. um, which is very potent against, obviously, rangers. They can't really set up an arsenal. Yeah, Like, like really anything that wants to arsenal something or wants to hold on to stuff, you know, from a previous turn is going to be affected by that. Right, and I believe there's at least two powerful cards here that can only be in this set that can only be played for Arsenal. Yeah, Death Touch and uh, and something else. I, I forget what it is off the top of my head. Right. And then the the Wither is is the opposite spectrum where it gives you that frailty token that reduces like all your attacks by one, but importantly, your weapon attacks by one. Yes. So that's crippling against the ninja. It takes the Kodachis right out. Yeah. Um, and then not maybe not quite as technically efficient here. There's Infect as well, which does the same thing, but it gives you Blood Rot. Um, which deals damage unless you pitch for it. So depending on what you're facing there, especially if it's like a ranger, one of those like really thirsty sort of builds, if you can get them to blow three resources to prevent some damage, then uh, you're in a much better position than you would have been otherwise. Yeah, that's one of those things too where it's like, oh, they're going to have to give up a blue on their turn before they refresh their hands to prevent two. And a lot of people are just going to be like, oh, it's not worth it until it gets late game. And then then it gets really worth it really fast. Yeah. And then suddenly they just can't attack you because they have to give up their blue that they were going to use for their weapons to not die. Exactly. So it, it, it seems like for Assassin especially, it's going to come down to really using the stealth effects uh, appropriately and then really you know buffing the attacks that you do have that can go through in order to inflict these, uh, these other effects in order to just keep the pressure up all the time. Right, and I think those three that give you those status effect tokens, I think those are mainly for the Arachne where you could send the first one with go again to either buff the second one to a break point yeah. or just like slowly exhaust them. Cause you know, you know it's, something comes in for, you know, four or five, you have to block with two cards out of your hand to do that. You don't necessarily always want to do that, but is right. it worth it if you're going to get stuck with an inertia token the next turn or something like that? Right. So the calculus that ends up going into it just gets more and more complex and inevitably people are going to be like, I don't care about this. I'm just going to take the stupid damage. Forget about the token. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, and it's important to bring up the common equipment in this set. You know, the... Yes. Uh, the, so this set's common equipment is just like uh, break it to prevent one damage the next time you would take damage from a source. So it, it it's kind of like that block block one stuff so that can help you with the break points early. But there are a couple effects in this set that get around that. Um 
either by like instant damage for the dagger throw thing or just to, granted it's a legendary that stops damage prevention but it, yeah but it's important to note too with the common equipment you're probably in sealed going to end up with like two usable pieces of common equipment that prevent damage that's typically how it works with six packs that that sounds about right yeah, yeah. um so he, it's so, so so a lot of it's going to be when you're playing a little bit more defensively a lot of it's going to be leveraging that common equipment to really maximize those one preventions that you get mm -hmm. because most of the like like the secret set and stuff it'll prevent the one damage um and then it also lets you opt one so so oh, i forgot about the learning opt. when to use that situationally to know what's coming up next so that you can plan a little bit further ahead especially for assassin like that's going to be a big thing i feel like for sure for sure so moving to draft for both these heroes, what would be your pack one pick one, pick one for Arachne, and what would be your pack one pick one for Usuri? Oof. I mean, obviously the 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 majestic specialization for Usuri, the shakedown, so good. If you if you see that, that's that alone is a really good reason to go Usuri. Hundred percent. Basically, if if you pull a shakedown, you really should just go Usuri at that point. You're going yeah. to get enough of the of the rest of the comments and stuff to make a functional assassin deck probably, um, and Shakedown is just so powerful with her uh, with her hero ability that I really I, I don't see a whole lot of benefit in getting one and then not using it. But it, and also the big thing with assassin too though is it's it's not so much a powerful single card you need those common synergies so it's kind of almost like Icelander in the last set where if you you start to see like one or two of these red zero for threes, mm -hmm. then you're open and you need to pivot or go into there and capitalize early and end up with a deck with 15 of those, you know, or even 10 of those and, and build from there. It's kind of, it's, it's both a good and a bad thing where this, this hero doesn't so much rely on the rares and majestics, but the commons, um, because you could just get all yellows and duff on it. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, and, and when we get to the um, unclassed cards too, those will influence you between Azuri and Arachne. Hundred percent. So it's like, oh, you see that you're getting these stealth cards, so you're assassin. But the nice thing is, you can decide later which assassin, depending on like your pick ten. Definitely. Yeah. Um, really quick before we move on to uh, to some of the other classes, what are your feelings about the uh, about the assassin uh, dagger cards that we got? We've got like three different flavors of them. Uh, four different flavors, actually, including Spider's Bite. Um, all of them have a little bit different of an effect, um, all pretty similar otherwise. Um, but what do you think about those, just both in a general sort of sense um, and in a situation like this where maybe you pull, you know, a Nerve Scalpel or a Scale Peeler or something along with the Spider's Bite that you're allowed to use as the token card? Um, is it worth it to use those over dual Spider Bites, or what do you think? So they're they're interesting uh scale peeler definitely not unlimited because it affects equipment block which just isn't going to happen in this set really uh but i i do strongly feel that spider's bite is the best and limited because most of what your opponent's deck is going to be is going to be attacks unless you're fighting uh riptide right and in then, which case you'd probably want to uh to bring in a nerve scalpel Right. If you get one. They're all Majestics, of course, except for uh, Spider's Bite. Right. It feels almost like a, I don't know, a wasted slot, kind of. Well, you because you also, if you end up with the cards where you get to throw a dagger and re-equip a dagger, which the odds of ending up with 
both of those. Very low. But yeah. if it'll happen somewhere at some point. Right. And but then even then though, because you could they uh they said basically the tokens you can put unlimited in your sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um so you just have unlimited spider bites. That's kind of yeah. I pretty much agree with that, honestly. Um, not a whole lot of utility in draft, whereas I, I think once you see things break out into CC and Blitz a little bit more, I think it'll make a little bit more sense. Um, but interesting call, I'll say, making them Majestics. Um, I probably would have made them rares. But again, I, you know. It's just uh, the, the precedent with the non-token weapons, you know, are typically Majestics. So you, yeah. I think part of that is so you don't see them as often in Limited because they just don't do enough. Or like in Tales of Aria, they were just or the you, best. You pull a Dusk Blade and you win, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never seen it. I've won with a Winter's Whale in draft once. It was disgusting. It was a cold foil Winter's Whale, and it was awesome. I and, love Winter's Whale so much. And everyone hated me because my oldham was just Frosty Hand. Yeah, man, that that's really why everybody hated Holdem. Just too many frostbites. Um, anyway, uh, I hear that from good. there, <laughs> and uh, and my continuing complaints about what they've done to Big Papa Winter. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about our next class. Let's talk, let's talk about Ninja. Um, the heroes are all heroes we've seen before. We've got Katsu and Benji, um, both uh, pretty you know pretty interesting heroes in their own sort of respective bailiwick. I feel like Katsu uh, gets a little bit more positivity. Uh, mm-hmm. Then Benji, uh, mostly because Benji has a really particular sort of play style. Yeah, Benji is kind of a, a combo deck, I would say, to play viably. And when they banned Mask of the Pouncing Links uh, and inadvertently hurt Benji to the point where I think it was just not competitive, at least in our local meta, it was just yeah. too RNG at that point. Uh, but I'm also slightly worried with, with Katsu. I mean, his ability is potent in constructed formats, but when you're talking limited, you know, you know, 30 card deck, you can't really afford to be wasting cards to, you know, just discard to pull another thing. Like the, the, the right. one for one swap thing makes sense when you have 60 to 70 cards that you can play with. You, each one has kind of less value overall. Right. But here, like you're going to eventually like you use Katsu's ability too much. You burn through your deck. You end up with nothing. Mm-hmm. And the opponent just gets to wail on you. And and another important point is just like how many full combo lines are you going to have in limited? Probably, probably not that many. Yeah, probably like three. Maybe you know because yeah. a lot of them end at higher rarities. Like sure, you'll have a bunch of starters and a couple of the second ones, but the the finishers typically end up at majestic or rare. Well, then so something interesting to point out here um, that that may help that a little bit is sort of the ninja's uh, preponderance of cards that let you change the name of the card. I love that effect. I do set. too. So you can end up with you know the big finisher and then fill in as you want, or mm-hmm. with some of these like. Um, like the gust waves or something like that, you can kind of play around that to sort of stay in the chain, even though you don't have the card necessarily. So there is some more flexibility in there, but generally speaking, I do agree with you. Finding the combo lines here is going to be, uh, is going to be tough purely based on RNG. Right. And then those cards, you have to get them go again and, and whatnot. I'm not sure if they have innate go again. I don't think they did, uh, but it's, um, it, it seems like they added a lot of cards to support uh, Katsu in CC and Blitz and the construction yeah. formats. Yeah, there, there's a ton of combo cards. Most of them don't have an eight go again. Um, some of them, like Spinning Wheel Kick, do. Um, but for the most part, the ones that have combo won't have go again just automatically. Mm-hmm. And the ones that don't will have go again, kind of as, I guess, the trade-off for li- lacking the other keyword. Right. And it's like, I, I, I do appreciate that in this set. It seemed like they made 
a conscious effort to make sure these cards were catered to Katsu and Benji without really pushing um, Phi. Yeah. Which I appreciate because Phi's already pretty up there in power level. Yeah, Phi is fine. He doesn't need anything right now. Right. Um, thanks, man. <laughs> right. What about you? How do you feel about Ninja Matt? Uh, I honestly really like what they did. Um, it makes me more excited because I feel like with Katsu specifically, it was really. Um, you have top tier players who like really know how to use it, but I feel like Katsu always fell short on a lot of it. And these just fill in the gaps. So just like you guys, I I'm excited for this to really fix Katsu for CC and make him kind of more of an option for people to want to jump in. If you already have the ninja cards too, like that's the nice thing for me is I already have like a lot of legendary ninja stuff. So it makes me more excited to be like, Oh, I have another ninja I can go play now. So right. Exactly. Like I don't have to go buy a mask of momentum. I can just throw it in right now. Um, Interestingly enough, Katsu and Azalea always felt really similar to me in that you could get some really powerful moves and stuff off, but they just lacked a little bit of something to help just tie it together at the end. So whereas I guess we've seen more success with Katsu than Azalea, both of them just kind of like felt similar to me. You know what I mean? Like it was difficult to get off the final sort of push you needed in order to finish the game out strong. I can definitely see where you're coming from. I think part of the issue i mean we have a really good local katsu player here shout out to justin the dude has done amazing things with the deck and it's the kind of deck that if you don't block it and respect it it will just eat any deck in the format alive it'll just eat it uh but once you know how to play against it and stop the key components it does like sputter out it like founders that. a little bit yeah, yeah for sure and uh i'm hoping this set will push it Enough to where it can can fill in those combos, even if you run out, you know, with the naming things and whatnot and make it a competitor because it's always been an interesting deck to me. You got to think a lot. It's like the hero from the first set, uh, you know, Welcome to mm -hmm. Wraith. It has a tutor ability printed on this hero. You get to search your deck for a specific card you want. Mm -hmm. To me, that just from coming from other trading card games, that blew my mind. That That is a powerful effect in basically powerful. anything. Exactly. You get to, and then just talk about the mental gymnastics you have to do to like figure out the lines, play by play. Oh plays. God, the the, the 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 ninja combo sequences are nuts sometimes. Right, and then remembering what you've exhausted and whatnot. So I I, I feel I just hope Katsu's in a position to reward those players who put in the effort by being a, a top tier hero. Absolutely. Um. So with that, let's um let's take a look at some of the uh, some of the actual cards. We have some old staples in here. Um, we have the we have head jabs, which are phenomenal, uh, surging strikes, which are nice. Um, and then we also have uh, twin twisters making a comeback as well. Um, all three very solid ninja cards. You see them in play a lot. Um, and we have a bunch of new stuff to kind of build combos off of those. Um, I guess, Jamie, the, the, the kind of just looking through these really quick. Um, first, I guess, how do you how do you feel like the, the breakdown between you know, the, the later combo pieces and the earlier combo pieces are, um, how much utility do you think we'll be getting out of some of these cards? And um, how viable do you think that Ninja overall is going to be uh, in a sealed format when you can't necessarily, you know, make all of the rare or the majestic sort of combos? Like, obviously, everybody's going to want to, at some point, pull off a Dishonor chain. <laughs> right. Right? Um, but uh, that, that's not going to happen in sealed. Probably. 
So it, it's interesting because I'm like looking at, and again, I'm focusing on the comments for limited. It seems like they're pretty much split between zero for threes and one for fours. Which uh, is pretty standard ninja stuff. Right. Um, and of course, going up the scale and getting slightly weaker. Uh, I'm, I'm almost a little bit worried that there might not be enough zero cost commons for you to be able to Kadachi reliably. Uh, kind of depends on what you pull there. Cause if you end up getting a lot of like blue head jabs or something, then it gets very easy to, you know, trigger those Kodachis and get the go agains off of them. Right. But, but if you end up with blue surging strikes, uh, then you're, then you're, like, then you're bu- or, you know, red head jabs, if we're sticking with that, um, then you have to end up pitching two of them in order to get... Um, well, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to complain about redhead jabs. <laughs> well, look, it, it depends on what you want to do with it, man. Right, a zero for three go again? Let's go. Right, let's go. Uh, but the, the 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 underlying, you know, sort of strategy with Ninja is, is you know, even in decks like Katsu or Fi that go a little bit taller, it's still you're swinging in a bunch of times for relatively small amounts as compared to, like, a Guardian or a Warrior or something right. like that. Death by a thousand Death cuts. Death by a thousand cuts, exactly. Exactly. So it, it really, is, as far as I can see, it is going to depend on how you get the breakdowns of those cards to keep the momentum up, to build the links on the chain, and to really, you know, hammer home those thousand cuts. Right. And it's like just looking at the commons, uh, a little more than half of them only block for two compared to the Assassin one where I think Pretty much everything blocks for three. for three. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... It's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic between these two heroes uh, because if you just like get head jab dot deck and you get to go zero for three, four times a turn with go again. I mean, there you go. Yeah, because you have the built-in go again, then your ninja is going to be pretty good. But but in the, the wax and wane of a game in flesh and blood, and especially when you're talking about uh, limited where you're power level isn't what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get on the back foot as ninja, you're going to really feel that those two block commons. You're 100%. really going to feel it. Ninja more than almost any other class benefits from having the momentum and keeping the momentum. Exactly, right? And then like with combo lines just inherently in ninja, that's how strong they like that's the power behind the class in limited I mean, I just feel like Ninja is the weakest class because you're not going to have as many combo lines, especially in Sealed, where you can't card select at all. You're just going to hopefully luck into it, but it's 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 hard to justify Ninja over Assassin. Honestly, yeah. you can't go wrong with, with the Ninja lines for, for draft is you're going to be going for starters a lot. If you start noticing, you don't see a lot of head jabs coming your way, or even cards like... Uh, Surging strike or uh, uh, descendant gust wave. You're you're you know that you're you're near a ninja player, um, and that gust wave and bonds of ancestry is going to be a really unique combo you can do. I know bonds of ancestry is rare, so it'll be harder to find. But being able to pay two less and get that card for free is going to be something you're going to probably look for a lot with Katsu, making it really close. I honestly think we're going to see a lot more dishonor than you guys think. Like if someone pulls it off, like I think it'll be easier than we think it is. Oh yeah, and it'll be spe- like the rares aren't as rare as they are in other card games, right? Like every pack has to give or take a majestic plus the foils end up like being a rare half the time. Uh, but it's just, I, I I'm interested in the dynamic of, if you're going like assassin, not talking about ranger yet, but if you're just going assassin ninja and you're both sending zero for threes against each other mm-hmm. and assassin, every one of their cards blocks for three and ninja half their cards block for two. 
Ninja's going to lose unless they have like something put together that pushes them over the, the Exactly. Average. But I think that's why they put Benji in there. So now you can't block those, you know? That 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 is true. Good yeah. point. And so they put Benji in there, so now you can't block those. And so Benji's just giving you those chains all the time. And, and it's going to be... That's the, that's the unique part is if you're, it kind of prevents you. I think everybody, every ninja should be trying to get Katsu in the beginning as they're drafting. Right, right. I'm trying to get Katsu. But if you're getting past cards that are like, not like you're not getting any reds, you're only getting your two and ones. Then you're like, cool. I can swap straight to Benji. And now I'm actually kind of scary. And I think that's the only thing that has ninja going for it in the set is that is the pivot is you always try to go to Katsu. And then Benji is just kind of your backup plan. If you didn't get the cards you wanted. For I, sure. I 100% am going in just for Benji. <laughs> Please I don't no. care what any of you say. Then you're just going to make us great. You're welcome. You're right. welcome for those free wins. <laughs> and then when you look at some of the, the combo cards, though, that are both Assassin and Ninja, like those cards are pretty spicy. Yeah, the um, the hybrid class cards uh, go pretty flipping hard, I'm not going to lie. Um, looking yeah. through it right now really quick but like the, the, right, the like, dagger bonuses and the you know yeah like a plunge right right that's one i want to focus on specifically for benji um so it's the it's a one for either three two or one depending on color pitch and uh, when it hits the next dagger attack this turn gets plus one go again um it's like the yellow and blue are so good for benji absolutely you get to Pitch a zero, drop, you know, and go two. You Blue can't head block jab it. into yellow plunge, hit for two. Yeah. And Kodachi then no, the next turn for, for two. two. Yeah. And it's just like those. It's it's also, there's a psychological thing in this game where people hate blocking ones and twos. Yes. You get to. So those Kodachis a lot of the times are going to hit. And especially with Benji, when you're like two, 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 Kodachi for one, Kodachi for one, and people don't want to give you a card for those, you know, you eat away their life in four turns. Right, it, it, if you can prevent eight un unblockable damage each turn, uh, you're doing pretty good, man. Like you're definitely in a strong position, provided, of course, that they can't come back with something else. Which is why I'm going for Benji, people. None of y'all are ready. Right, that is the downfall of Benji because they can't block. They're going to get a full hand. But if they're playing like a ranger who has the uh, the defense reactions and then can only shoot one arrow a turn, that's right? going to be a problem. But as we learned from Phi, no no blocking, just all glory. <laughs> just no block, all no glory. Block, all, just go. Just, <laughs> just go. go. Pedal to the metal, baby. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, is Benji does have the built-in ability after his first attack hits, his next attack gets, gets plus, plus one. one. Yep. So, so when you do that, like, send a random two attack, go again, then Kadachi for two, and then do the one that buffs your next dagger attack for two, and then Kadachi for two again. Yeah. You know? That's that's two cards plus a third for pitch, granted, but that's eight damage. Eight damage off of what? Two cards and a pitch? Yeah. You so still have one cards. left over that you can arsenal or, or block or with or block with or yeah. just play as an addition to that. And four of it was unblockable, and two of them are Kadachi weapons that people probably don't want to block anyway. Exactly. So Benji's in a good place in this set, guys. Y'all are sleeping on him, but I I, I think Benji's gonna be. I mean, be I wouldn't go that here. far, but uh. <laughs> It's uh, okay. I'll just I'll just be over here memeing by myself. Right. Um, Matt, anything l final to say about the uh, ninjas? I'm excited for the ninjas. That's it. <laughs> excited for the ninjas. Uh, I'm kind of like, I'm ready for, I'm stoked ninjas are in here, and I'm stoked they're fixing the old ninjas as they made Fi really, really good. Uh, my hope is after the set, we don't see ninja for a while. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> like, I'm stoked on ninjas, but at the same time, it's like, 
ninja overkill lately. So I feel you. It's been like three sets with ninjas. It's time to give somebody else a chance. Um, really quick before we move on to the next thing, Jamie, this has nothing at all to do with seal, but I want to get your opinion on this. Um, this majestic uh, ninja item, uh, the uh, the shuriken, hmm. silver one shuriken. Okay. I think this is a piece of garbage. I highly disagree with you. Okay, uh, please talking, tell me why. Please, for the love of God. You say so you're talking about silver wind shuriken. That's right? the very one. Yes. So if people don't know, it's a zero cost blue. Uh, it's a ninja action shuriken item. So it's an item. It doesn't have go again. That might be its downfall. But basically, it's an item that sits out there that says attack reaction, destroy the shuriken. Target attack action card with combo gets plus one. Let me tell you, uh, I don't know how many games you've played against Katsu, but they have this innocuous little piece of glove equipment that has that same line of text. Destroy this, target combo card, gets plus one attack. Katsu has such devastating lines, and people block it so precisely. If you have this item sitting out there, your opponent has to over block every combo line or else they're just going to get blown out so suddenly your three attacks are either going to eat a piece of armor eat another card or hit well this is this is a constructed card guys definitely not limited but oh 100 percent. but in constructed this card says give me an extra card every time i attack with a combo card or i'm gonna hit and trigger and get the next piece and trigger the draw effect from whelming gust wave or whatever it's it's so good. It's so good. It's it's so good if you can get it onto the field. The, right. The, the biggest thing with this is because it's an item, because it doesn't have go again built into it, it's going to eat up the remainder of your turn unless you can figure some way out to give yourself another action point or something. Right, right. And that goes completely against the whole idea of how a ninja deck goes together, which is to grab the momentum, run away with it, do as many things per turn as possible. Well, one important thing to think about Katsu specifically, because he does play much differently from Phi, is he doesn't have as many finishers as Phi does, especially if the whole combo chain doesn't hit. Like a lot of the times, Katsu in the early turns is just going to be like three, go again, Kadachi, Kadachi, three, go again, five, go again. And then you either end with this or worst case scenario, this is a blue it's cost a blue zero. zero. You, you, yeah, you it's double Kadachi. Your Kadachis, yeah. yeah, but I, I, I just I have lost so many games against Katsu. More than half the games I've lost to Katsu is because of those arms, because eventually you just stop thinking about it. There's a couple of turns where they don't really get a push damage. And then suddenly you're just like, oh, you know, I got this good combo. They're coming in for three with a whelming gust wave that it hits, it draws a card, and then they can activate Katsu and get the next one. So you block for three, and then they're just like, you literally you're, lose. You're right, and there's no uh, out-of-your-control feeling in this game besides when Katsu pulls something crazy off where you just go like, All right. F, like, how am I supposed to come back from this? Like, it, it literally kind of disrupts you a little bit. It's a very disruptive thing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it sits on the board is you're just like, ugh, because they could do it. It's like an epot. They like could do it anytime. Like mind stuff. Yeah. And, like, if this was for any other hero in the set, or just in the game, plus one attack would mean nothing. But because of the way Katsu works with the built-in tutors and that you have to hit to get all his abilities, it's just, I think this card is really well-designed and will be a hit. 
Okay, awesome. We finally heard from somebody who actually knows how to play the stupid game. <laughs> it's not just Greg sitting here saying, I think this sucks. But, so cool. but I agree with you on surface level. When you look at it, you're like, this is shit. It's a card that doesn't block See, and, and only and, adds one and attack. Like, around the time that I was getting into the game, which was around the time of Everfest, Katsu was falling off pretty hard in terms oh, of popularity. So I've played very little against Katsu. I haven't had a lot of reasons to go into Katsu because Phi came out not long after I started playing this. Right. Um, and then... Uh, Personally, I've always had more of an affinity for like Ira and Benji than for Katsu. Um, so I haven't had much of an experience playing Ew. as Katsu either. And <laughs> you, you, you leave me alone. <laughs> I'm here to have fun, Jamie. I'm not here to win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nobody believes that. that. Nobody really should, but I'm going to keep saying it anyway. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. That was purely a Greg question. I appreciate you oh, taking no, the time. Oh, no, yeah, that was, uh, and it's an important caveat that I very rarely play Katsu, but I've played against it a lot. And I can tell you if my opponent resolved this card, I would be very scared and want to end the game the next two turns. Fair enough. So with that out of the way, let's uh, <laughs> let's let's pivot on into the next set we have. Let's talk about Rangers. Um, let's start with everyone's favorite girl, Azalea. Um do we think she has the goods? You know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I bash on Ranger quite a bit, especially Azalea. It's one of those heroes where I want it to be good, but I feel like LSS kind of... not quite there. Exactly. I think they pigeonholed themselves with the way arrows and bows work. I just don't think it could be good enough. And the Quivers are, are making a good like counter to that. Uh, but after re seeing the full set spoilers, I am excited for Ranger. It, not going to lie. It really does look pretty nice. Um, oh, yeah. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Azalea. Let's talk for just a second about my favorite big boy, Riptide. Um, Riptide may be the guy to convince me to go off of Guardians now that I've gone Guardian uh, pretty much completely. Um, Jamie, what what do you think about Riptide? So it's it's I like his what he does right so he has one or two less health depending on the format right and then mm -hmm. whenever you play a card from hand uh you get to put a card from Face your hand into, into your arsenal, arsenal yeah. right so like you want to play like a defensive guardian like style mm -hmm. uh but his his last line whenever a trap card you control triggers deal one damage to the attacking hero now see at first i was like Oh my God, this is amazing. Every time you use a trap card, they take one. But it's important to note, mm -hmm. it says when it triggers, not when you defend with. So the text of the trap actually, actually has, has to, to activate. Before it does the damage. Right. So it kind of damaged it, but I still think it's awesome. <laughs> it, it totally, especially if you can get those traps off like with some regularity and get those effects to trigger. Right. Um, like for example, you come in with a buzzsaw trap against a guardian. Like when this defends an attack with attack greater than its base, the attack can't gain attack this turn and its attack becomes its base. Like if you swing into that with, uh, with like a Bravo that wants to pummel you or something. Oh yeah. Um, like poor. Right there, deal one damage to them, prevent three damage, prevent the pummel from going through. Right. Like, that's just, that's, when you start stacking all of the different effects, all these relatively little minor things, they all become a much larger sort of effect. Like, the, the, the sum is greater than its parts. Right, exactly. And then you get to play that trap, so you get to then put an arrow face down. And yep. then if you use the barb to cast away on your turn, you turn it face up, give it a name, counter, shoot it. You don't even necessarily have to do it on, on your turn because the effects on the castaway are instants. So if it's beneficial to you, you can do it on your opponent's turn, especially in like CC or something. If you're running like New Horizon, you can put the one face down your opponent's turn after the trap triggers. 
activate the instant to flip it face up, get the second arsenal zone, and then if you have another trap, block with it and put another thing into your arsenal. Disgusting. Imagine you're just like... Gross. Pitch a blue, Oasis respite you. Right. Put something in my arsenal, flip it face up, give it a name counter. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's disgusting, right? It, it is. I do fear that Riptide is the constructed hero, though. I oh, think absolutely. Az- I think Azalea is going to be better and limited in most cases. And, and, and the biggest reason of that is because most of Riptide's best traps are all rares or majestics. And legendary. And legendary. Um, so, th- so the equipment and the cards that you really need to play to really bring him into his full like power, you're not going to get that reliably. Right, but if you see like two of those traps and limited, oh, you grab it and you run, son. Because you know it's going to be that thing where people are just like, "You ranger, I'm not touching that." So you'll get some powerful. I I even saw it in Tales of Aria, man. You would see like those majestic arrows, just like floating around the table. Pick ten, pick twelve, and you're just like, "Somebody pivot to ranger, please." It's not <laughs> that bad. We Although have all of the would. good cards, guys. Come on. Right. I mean, I would never Voltaire play it, but... is right there. <laughs> Although, so, that's a different discussion. Voltaire's a <laughs> trap and limited. <laughs> um, that's going to be fun to talk about offline. Um, so, Ranger has a bunch of interesting stuff in here. Um, the biggest thing is that almost all of it requires that you have the aim counter on it in order to get the full benefit of the effect, um, which isn't too much of a problem because the bow allows you to put the aim counter on it pretty easily. Um, but I'm curious to, to to know what you think about you know that sort of reliance on the weapon in order to bring the full capability of the arrows out. And especially like, and this is a little beyond what our actual topic is, but especially once we make the transition into CC or Blitz, how effective it's going to be to run like Barbed Castaway or Sand Scour as opposed to a Death Dealer or something like that and get that encounter bonus off of it. Right. I think, um, well, I think the bow won't see much play in Constructed outside of Riptide. Um, with uh, an important piece that's coming out for Constructed is the new Azalea Specialized Quiver that lets you, whenever you put an arrow face up into your arsenal, you get to pay a resource to give it a name counter. That's already doing what Azalea wants to, putting the top card, giving it Dominate, etc. 100%. Um, so I'm actually super excited for that Quiver, one of my favorite cards in the set, because I'm hoping it'll give Azalea what she needs for Constructed. With with the new I, I, I haven't seen a lot of, of Azalea commentary yet, but from people that I've seen just kind of talking about it, apparently the new quivers like give Lexi exactly what she needed. Like the like rustling leaves specifically just crank up her consistency to a point where it's actually like sort of crazy at this point. Right. The one thing I'm worried about with Lexi is she's just gonna get a lot of um, unintentional flack. Uh, from bannings, I feel like, in the future. Like, she already she always has. has, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they're looking at, you know, Icelander and Oldham, and they're like, oh, these ice cards are too powerful, and Lexi's sitting there like, not in my deck. Please, can I have anything, guys? <laughs> right? So, um, I it's also like an enigma with Azalea being the only hero to not have uh, living legend points. Excuse me. Um, it's, it's just I want this hero to be good. So badly. It's just, it, it, but e- even with the stuff here, I'm still, I'm not quite sure that 
she's hit that line. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like there's a lot of really good ranger stuff in here. Um, things like spire sniping, which is a one for five. When it's put or turn face up into the, uh, or turn face up in the arsenal, you get to look at the top two cards of your deck and then put them back in any order. So it gives you that free opt off of it. You get to right. sort of play around with that. Like even with stuff like that, I don't know if Azalea is going to be able to grab the momentum enough to keep that pressure up. So, so I think a problem too with Azalea is people try to play it with Lexi, which I think is completely wrong. I think the way Azalea wins games is you need to play a card that buffs your attack, which in this set, there's a bunch of assassin slash ranger cards that buff like one for four, one for three and mm-hmm. give you that on hit. Mm-hmm. And you need to load an arrow with dominate and shoot it. The And it has its problems, too, because when you're dominating attacks, yes, you're guaranteeing on hits pretty much and uh, and pushing damage, but you're also letting your opponent keep their hand. So if they can disrupt you back, it's problematic. And I think in the past, that's been the problem with Azalea, where it's like, yeah, this is the game plan but Bravo just does it better and more consistently. Exactly. Bravo does it better and more consistently, or, you know, if, if you really want to play with arrows, Lexi has access to the elementals and right. stuff and like that. Right, and she goes wide. Exactly. She's got that or if you just want to go Ryan, just, just pick up a rune blade and go have fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But uh, with this set, there are quite a few buff cards and cards with potent on hits mm-hmm. that I'm hoping will be enough to push Azalea over, but... Uh, uh, we're kind of getting sidetracked into uh, constructive talk. Yeah, this is the, 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 the problem with talking about this game is that it's really easy to just talk about this game. Right. Yeah, There's. I mean, there's so much. We could be yeah. completely wrong, too. I mean, Azalea. Yeah, so Azalea. with going back to sealed and draft, so pack one, pick one for draft on, like, going to Azalea or going to, I, I guess, not, maybe not pack one, pick one, but... Uh, if I'm trying to be a Riptide, what's going to make me go Riptide? What's going to make me go Azalea? Like, what's the picks? So uh, just generally Riptide, if you get a bunch of traps, you know, uh, then Riptide's fine. Like, um, that sets up the more... You want to look at your sealed pool and see a big component of Ranger in Limited is you're going to have a lot of um, non-arrow cards, too. You're going to want to rely on your generics just as much. You know, there's Ravenous Rabble. Yeah. Um, and then there's things like... Um, the one for plus three that's played in commoner. Um, and then, you know, there's just a lot of those cards like two for sixes. There's two two for six commons that are generic. So you kind of want to look at that. And if you uh, come to fight is the card I was thinking about. But uh, if you have a lot of that where you can diversify arrows and non-arrows, and some go again with some not go again, then you're looking at Azalea. So you don't have to rely so much on purely the arrows and all of the weird setup that those require. You can just actually, you, you can keep the pressure up a hell of a lot more easily with your ravenous ravels and your come to fights than you can necessarily with yours, you know, your actual arrows. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I, I think that's a common trap in limited where people think I'm playing ranger. So I need arrows, all arrows all the time. Right. And like, don't get me wrong. Arrows are usually, pretty good cost to damage ratio one for fives are phenomenal right but uh you can only shoot one of them a turn most of the time you know with your bow and all that and go again so uh it's just something you need to supplement that and or buff them but uh if you end up with with traps like more than three traps you might want to look at riptide for that just free damage you're going to get because a big component of that Riptide trigger when you trigger traps is that's unpreventable damage other than the common equipment in this set. 
Exactly. It, it can't be blocked by anything. It, ju- it just goes through provided the trap goes off. Right. And this game is a game of inches. It's 100%. Death by a thousand cuts. You have ninjas? A game of ninjas, exactly. <laughs> ninjas and inches. One damage over five turns is oftentimes better than five damage over one turn. Right. Like when you're in limited too, a lot of the times it's like one, one, two, one. Or like your opponent, how many people have been Kadachi locked before? Oh my God, don't Where even it's start like with me. One, one. And then like suddenly you're a ranger facing a ninja, a katsu, and they're like, you're both one, one. And they're like, you're Kadachi locked, sucker. And they attack you and you trigger a trap. Oh my goodness. Never mind, guys. Yeah, it feels so good. Or I imagine it will feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) So with all this, we talked about Assassin, Ninja, and Ranger. Um, Let's move to kind of what would be our our picks for... What's the steeple for all three classes in the generics? Because every single set, like, for example, Wastes Respite, you need it for every single hero in in freaking um, Uprising, right? So what mm-hmm. is our cards that we're going to make sure we want to have in every single hero for Outsiders? So there's there's a one card that I want people to keep an eye on is, is Brush Off. So it's a common generic instant that costs zero. It's, uh, you know, it comes in the rainbow. And what it says is the next time you would be dealt uh, X or less damage this turn prevent it so it's uh, three two or one depending on the pitch value so it doesn't block but it's an instant that prevents the things from like riptide and and, and little damage triggers i think this is a a really good especially blue card in your deck um for all three heroes you know the katsu you get to trigger the weapons and whatnot and it's a blue pitch that doesn't block but gets to because the strongest i think of this is the preventing one from like daggers as a last resort of course 100 percent. but uh but that's like a card that's a common that i think people are gonna look at and instantly be like this card sucks and it's better than you think it's it's, it's got really wide utility um generally speaking no matter what being able to stop damage cold is going to be a beneficial effect, especially since you don't have to pay for it. Yeah, and, and it's like the D-React for non-rangers in the set. There's, I don't believe there's any D-Reacts that aren't traps no, in the set. No, I don't set. think so. Uh, so it's also that one where they, if they do the Azuri trick, the red, the red version of this mm-hmm. card is going to be so good, you know, because even the ones, there's a couple of them, granted they're higher rarity, that prevent you from playing attack reactions, but this is just an instant. Or a defense reaction, sorry, but yeah, exactly. It, it's an instant, so it's triggerable basically whenever, um, and it just it has good solid utility for basically any situation. Um, so that's a hundred percent one you're going to want to keep uh, keep an eye on too. Right, and then there's another another common. It's a zero for three uh, for the red version. Right, it's called a uh, feisty locals. It says if it's defended by an action card, this has plus two. So there you go for for zero because. It, Really, like either you're guaranteeing the three goes through, right, or they're blocking most likely with an a- with with an action card, like almost definitely. Yeah, unless it's a trap riptide. Exactly. Um. So you're still pushing two damage through unless they double block it. Right. And I think this card's gonna be used a lot for Azuri in the limited format because mm-hmm. you're able to swap out that stealth card if it has an action card there already. You're already getting the plus and be able to hit. And exactly. Push over, so. And a, a lot of the times this uh, in limited. You get each other, you're just trading blows back and forth, and you get each other low, and then that's where the real game starts. And this is a card that says, if you're at three or less, you have to, most of the time, give me two cards, unless you have that instant or, like, an exception. But Mm -hmm. this card, basically, 
is a, is a one for two in most situations. And hopefully you like precede this by a go again attack. So you get to, or some weapons or something. Right, exactly. So, so you can take three cards out of their hand, for example, per turn with keeping that pressure up. Exactly. Because that I feel a lot of games in Limited come down to that. Both people get sub three life mm-hmm. and, and it's just then, like. Then they get block happy and back and forth and back and forth and back exactly. and forth. Exactly. And especially this card against a ninja where if they get. If they get all two block attacks in their hand, yep. they have to put three cards Three cards, cards to block it completely. Yeah, like, and that will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and a ninja with one card in hand is 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 an arsenal useless. pass. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Kodachi, double Kadachi. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If it's 1-1, one, one, they could yeah. still eat two of your cards. Yeah. But Provided they had a zero, uh, a zero cost blue pitch. Oh, right, They probably right. would make sure they have that, right? Right. Uh, the other steeple would, of course, be uh, the red ravenous rabble. People are going to get that just for the go again and attack, no problem. So. And, you know, like, people people hate on it, but Blue Ravenous, Rabble, like, a lot of the times in Limited, you're sending one, maybe two attacks. Yeah. So what if you send this attack for one or two? It's a blue pitch that you'll save for late game. It's 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 a zero-cost blue pitch, so you can play it whenever you want to to get Ex- that go again. Right. You can, if you're a ninja, you can pitch it for your Kodachis. It can pay for almost anything else in the entire set. And, and that's the little things that help you edge out games, because, like, say you have two blue Ravenous Rabbles. You're going to pitch that the first cycle. But suddenly, when you and your opponent are both at one, you have this blue card that you don't need to necessarily pitch, but it's like, this is lethal go again, right? Um, in my second pitch cycle. Which is huge. Yeah, so give me a card, and I still get to do whatever you thought I was going to do. And that's that's how you eke out games in, in these very close limited matchups that people don't really think about. Like, you need to look at a card for both first pitch cycle and second pitch cycle like an, an, another common thing in, in limited is just like you kind of look at your colors and you're like i'm gonna play every red card and pitch every blue card if you're playing against a similarly skilled opponent with a similar power level deck sometimes you need to sit there and be like i need to pitch a couple reds because when we hit our second deck cycles he's going to be attacking me with ones and twos and i'm going to have a couple of threes and fours and that makes all the difference yeah 100 pro tip Pro Pro tip, tip. right here. Uh, So with that, uh, I guess the major overarching question that everyone would be asking, the whole everyone that plays Russian Blood is asking this. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) What's uh, the fabled? Uh, (laughs) What was that? What's the fabled? Yeah. No, uh, besides that. uh, So do you think that this set being limited or drafted, um, especially draft, do you feel this is going to have the uprising problem of uh, you pretty much pick your hero the first as soon as you start drafting? Or do you think this set's pretty balanced where you can kind of stay in that generic area until you kind of figure out the rest of the board? So it's going to be interesting because in draft, each class has two heroes. So I think that's nice to where you're going to start picking up cards and be like, yes, I'm an assassin, but I don't know which hero yet. I'm going to see what I'm going to get, which is... It's an interesting dichotomy because I think it falls into that same thing where early in the draft, you're going to be locked into a class like you were with Uprising. But because you get a choice of two heroes until the end, I think it's going to feel much more open 
it, it, it seems to, and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't play a whole lot of Uprising Draft, um, but it's, it seems to... You're lucky. Yes. Thank you very... There's a reason I didn't play a whole lot of Uprising Draft, folks. <laughs> um, but it, it seems to, like, the biggest issue with Uprising Draft, as far as I could see it, was that very, very quickly um, it, it became solved, basically. You knew... You know this. You know this many people are going to run Fi. This many people are going to run Icelander. Uh, I've got these three cards, which basically locks me into having to run this unless I want to run something garbage, etc., etc., etc. So it was kind of like like immediately upon opening your first pack, you knew what way you were going to go. Um, it feels like this opens it up a little bit more, so that even if you end up, you know, in the same sort of games over and over like if it's always like azalea versus katsu or something like that there's enough flexibility in the set itself that is not going to be you know the same deck over and over and over again to get to that point where it's kind of like well i know what they're going to do this turn i know what i'm going to do this turn and then you you can play it all basically in your head you know what i mean right yeah i do have high hopes for this limited format because i feel like even if you have the exact same 30 cards, an Azuri 30 versus an Arachne 30 are going to feel and play differently, and you have that agency as a player. Whereas with Uprising, I don't want to bash on the set too much, but, I mean, I, I drafted it a lot. I went to the Uprising was, was a very solid set. It had a lot of really good and interesting things in it. Yeah. But over, it, over six months with only three heroes. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just, and it, w it was brutal because I went to both the second Pro Tour and Worlds. So I drafted it at the highest level. And then we still do drafts every other week here at one of our local game stores. And I'm there for almost all of them. And most of the people got so tired that we went back to drafting Tails or Monarch. Or Monarch or something, yeah. Which I love Monarch. But, uh, but it did have that problem. I mean, I don't want to focus too much on a previous set, but I just feel like... Um, this set will be much more refreshing and won't get nearly as stale as fast. It, it seems really well positioned to go through the next six months or so until the next uh, draftable set comes out without the fatigue starting to drag down on everybody. I mean, we all know six months is still too long for her. It's 100% still too long. Uh, really, really, you know, crossing my fingers for those days where they get too, uh, where, where, where the, the schedule starts to speed up a little bit. Right. But, um, but, but for what it is. Yeah. Like I, I have high hopes. I'm, I'm not going to lie coming into the set before anything was spoiled. Um, I was kind of just like, uh, I don't know. Like, what are they going to do to like what, shake it up? And then after seeing the set, I do have high hopes and I, I, I'm hoping it shakes up both the constructed and the the limited meta. And, and and I kind of feel like that's kind of, you know, at, at least here in our local uh, scene. And of course it could be different elsewhere. Guys, let us know, but it very much feels like sort of in general, like that kind of malaise is setting in a little bit. Like mm -hmm. it's a lot of people coming into it. Like, well, you know, I'm still having fun with it. It's an entertaining game and everything, but I've lost a lot of the, like the excitement around it. You know what I mean? Well, like I can, I can chime in from my personal perspective perspective i started the week after tales of aria came out right long story short i played around with all three aria heroes didn't like them looked at monarch and i built um, chain and prism simultaneously this was post seeds ban uh my first legendary i opened was husk i was i was literally bought a box of monarch to build prism and open husk and i was like oh i guess i'm building chain and i, I built the both. universe is spoken all uh, right and i built both i loved them i fell in love with chain and prism i came from magic you know prism played like a 
classic control deck, Chain. Chain was surprisingly thinky, and that's why I loved him too. Right. Uh, and then they both hit LL around the same time. Yep. A little bit after last summer. And the dark ages set in. So I'm sitting here with two like five to eight hundred dollar constructed decks that are banned, right? Uh, and I could play Blitz with them, granted, which I do. I play Chain all the time at Blitz. But I, I've been sitting here for eight, nine months just looking at the two heroes that I enjoyed, right? And I picked up Viserai afterwards, and it's okay, but it does, it's not Chain. Uh, and I'm kind of like, all right, give me my heroes back. And and finally, they announced that uh, they're going to bring them back next summer, which will have I'm been, so excited. I'm excited too, but that's 12 months. 12 yeah. months where, I mean, and I might be my two main heroes were both LL'd out of like three CC heroes that got LL'd. I guess I just like broken heroes. But <laughs> so I've been, I've been sitting here just like, you know, yeah, I'll play a little Viscerai. I'll play a little Arachne, but I, I want to play chain and prism or, you know, and, and I've had to kind of wait and I'm gonna have to wait until almost a year to get those heroes back. And like I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, I, I have sort of a similar thing. When I first started the game, just after Everfest launched, um, Chain was the first hero that I actually played. Um, I, I Chain game. Chain game. Um, I, I picked up his Blitz deck uh, and you know started to get into it and really interesting sort of hero and kind of progression through it. Um, and I started you know building him out for CC and all that stuff. Husk was also the first legendary I ever pulled out of a model. Heck Barks. yeah. Heck yeah. Um, so I was really excited for that. And then like a, a, a few, like not too long after I started, like really started, you know, putting some stuff into this chain got LL. Um, yeah. and at that point, you know, you go through all the heroes. I, I, we did a whole thing on the podcast about me speed dating everybody and just trying mm-hmm. every possible combination of things to see what worked. You ended up on Oldham, right? And, and I ended up on Oldham. It, it was a like. I like chain because ten bands later. <laughs> I, I like chain because it's the sort of more mid range. It was a little bit more tactical than some of the other decks. Um, and Oldham had that same sort of feeling. But mm-hmm. after you know the Eisenloft ban and the, the hammer, hammer ban and all of that stuff, awakening. Just, it, exactly, it's it's completely taken away sort of the joy that I felt for that. Right. So I'm sitting here with a bunch of chain stuff I can't use, and I'm sitting here with a bunch of Oldham stuff that I can't use now. And now I have to pivot again into another new hero. Right. It just after a while, like it's it's a really inventive and clever way of keeping cards in rotation and keeping things interesting. The Living Legend system, um, but it also like it punishes you for playing something that's in meta. But that's the excitement of age, right? Uh, with any uh, alcoholic beverage, age always makes it better, right? <laughs> uh, so with no, and for with sure, this I'll... card game, like Living Legends, going to actually have. Uh, Right, Some and I, I'm not trying to bash on LSS because yeah. I do like the Living Legend system. <laughs> I think that's the best way to handle like an overpowered it's good. hero. Like, it's 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 nice, especially compared to like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's just like, oh, we're 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 banning these random things, right? Randomly. Or or you got to wait two years for it to cycle out. Exactly. But uh, if I could, one thing uh, me and my friends speculated on, and that I was hoping we would see. Is uh, you guys remember the dual deck Reinar versus yeah, uh, it was awesome. Dory? Yeah. yeah, classic battles. Yeah, classic battles. Yes. Uh, so why not when outsiders come out? Did they not just print a uh, classic battles? Uh, new light illusionist versus shadow rune blade, and these cards are legal and constructed. Let's go. Uh, th- yeah, I mean, it one hundred percent would have solved it. Uh, mm-hmm. it should have been Lord Sutcliffe and the librarian. It should have. It should have. Yes, been. it should have been. I was looking at that that judge spoiler. Yeah, that looks like the library. Oh, right. Yeah, and it's supposedly the new light illusionist hero. That is the new hero. 
maybe not the text, but the actual character. So I'm I'm just saying it would have been the perfect opportunity. Yeah. Could have gotten nerds like us, like, really full-on back into things. Right. Because like, I get it. LSS is, like, three and, and some change years old, right? Very still... young. The game itself is very young compared to some of, like, the old old the oldies, like, your Pokemons or your Yu-Gi-Oh's. Right. And they're, and they're still figuring it out. And I like the uh, the Living Legend system. In, 100%. In theory. But one year game time, so one third of the life of the game, or by the time it comes out, almost one fourth of the life of the game, this hero has been banned, is a little too much. But I get it too. They're trying to figure out they don't just want to like put these heroes in outsider. You got this random light and shadow hero in a set with no light and shadow. And it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't fit the set. It doesn't, you know, fit the flavor, et cetera, et cetera. But like, what about talented heroes? We're like, what if an ice hero gets LL'd? When's the next time we're going to see ice? We've already had two sets of that. In a row, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, you know, if Icelander gets LL'd, when are we going to see another ice wizard? And this is, of course, we've gone completely off topic. Yeah, yeah. we're we're done with the limited review, I believe. Tangent (laughs) land now. We're we're, we're a fathom and a half in the rabbit hole, and we got six more to go, team. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, it, it's, a, it's a, it's a really interesting system. It, it has some definite pros and it has some definite cons. And the biggest thing is the time between mm-hmm. a, a hero going LL and a hero, you know, receiving a, a retrain or additional support or something <coughs> like that. Cause even if you look at like the heroes that have been released already, we've seen a ton of ninja, ninja support come out since, since they've been released, obviously right. we've seen a, seen a ton of rune blade support since those have come out. So Briar mm-hmm. and Viscera, I get to benefit off of that a lot, wow. but you don't, you don't see a lot of like brute support. You don't see necessarily <laughs> a lot of warrior support. Make um, Livia good again. It, th- it this is happen. this it is happen. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like like let's let's look at Monarch specifically. Two of the heroes of the four introduced in that set have gone LL. Yeah. Two of them are pretty oh, much dude. the worst ones in the game. Levy is bad. Bolton's bad. Bolton's you know. I didn't think about that dichotomy until you said it out loud. Right. But so, but so this underscores the ultimate point. Like some classes are either really good just because they're really good or they get a bunch of support. So you have that flexibility to play in the most optimal play style and other stuff. You just kind of, you just have to cross your fingers and hope that you can charge your soul enough in order to get your six luminas off. You play Azalea because you like playing the game, not because you like winning. See, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's that kind of thing. I, I, I'm fully in support and I've, I've, you know, bottom tier, of course, exists sort of as a bastion of that more casual kind of play style. For sure. So I 100% am on board with somebody, you know, just playing the game to play the game or somebody who wants to get, you know, hyper sweaty and super pro and go, you know, nine years deep into the lore and the, and the lines and everything. But I don't feel like that should be reflected in the actual design of the game. And I feel like that's kind of where we are, where there's a really clear line between heroes who can win and heroes who might be fun for you. You know what I mean? And you, you brought up an interesting point with the, the two, the light and shadow hero being banned with, with Levia and, um, Bolton being mm-hmm. in the same set and that cuz cuz one of my gripes too was like the price of these decks you're talking about like no other deck plays library no other deck plays husk uh vestige of souls and whatnot and exactly. I think part of that is because the the light and shadow counterparts just either don't incorporate that into their strategy or aren't good enough to be competitive so that's that's part of what hurt like if you uh if if 
Viscerai would have got banned, people would just would have been like, oh, now I just play Briar or Chain because right, exactly. they're still Rune Blades. Exactly. But, but both of those classes, and in, including uh, Starvo too, if we want to include that in this conversation, they ver- had very distinct flavors and combinations of cards that wasn't replicated elsewhere, and maybe that's why they were as strong as they were. But it also leads you to like nothing can replace this until it gets replaced. Exactly. So it's 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 a weird kind of balance that that I think they have going on, and that they have to look at going a little bit more towards the future. Right. Um, is making sure that you know not just like the super super popular sort of heroes or talents or whatever get support, but that everything has a chance to kind of come into the limelight. Like why even for example make a merchant card. <sighs> If all you're going to give it is friggin' silver palms. I, uh, uh, you know. Right, and, and, and it's not even like, well, this is just a one-off. We're just having fun like it is with, like, Taylor or something like that. It's like... Taylor is a broken card. <laughs> but, Taylor's broken, York's yeah. broken, we all know. Oh, York is garbage. But. Yeah, tell me about it. Honestly, I've had, I've had a lot of fun playing with York. Um, right. But, uh... But yeah, so like, why make these cards if you're not going to support it and make it something that's actually like usable and not something that's just there to, you know, meme on? I'm as big a joker as anybody else. I like coming up with weird, you know, sort of lines and funny sort of, you know, interactions between things. Uh, but at the same time, like, I, I'd really like to bring Genus What You Need to something and actually feel like I'm not just there to make a joke. You know what I mean? After this set, you can bring genius what you need because you're going to be stealing silver from all these assassins that are just going to appear out of nowhere. So help. That's that's one gripe I have about the assassins in this set. How many cards in this set make silver? None of them. Yeah. But if you fuse your, your like, going back to Dynasty, you'll be able to have all that silver stuff. Genius what you need to be like, hey, guys, you want to play that? Too bad. It's I'm like buying it from you. Like you said earlier, I feel like in this set, they made it all stealth and no contract because they wanted to make a good limited set and not make it overpowered in CC uh, or in constructed blitz or CC. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's the same thing that happened with Ranger initially all the way back in WTR. They must have tested something that made it broken and they scaled it too far back. But... But now you got to worry about you have this supplemental set that that had a lot of assassin cards that had all these contract cards. Now you have this full draftable set again with assassin cards. The cards from this set and the cards from the last set do not interact with each other. They either care about having contract or whatever. Like I think shred is the only card that works with cards from this set. Yeah. And it's just like, it feels weird to me that you have two sets back to back with the same class with cards that just do not work together. It's like being able to make two different builds with it in its own unique way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, I think it shows LSS does have, uh, like you were saying, Greg, the supplemental sets are literally like, they have like one or two, like, or three good cards for each class that you're like, sweet, this is going to do things. And everything else, you're just kind of like, we're never gonna touch this. Revel in Rune Blood, baby. What? Like, I mean, it's true. All the M's, no, all the, that's Revel, a good Revel, is Revel, Revel, and uh, yeah, and swarming. Yeah. We're just like yeah. Everfest, Everfest was basically Revel and swarming. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, if, if we look at Dynasty, uh, like, and we look at like the 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 legendary the, did the, Dynasty the, the, have harpoon? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that um, so that like, was the breakout so, card. So, from that set. like for Har- harpoon, uh, you get one really good card, and then you get five like season saviors. Yeah. Which is the worst 
But I mean, that's a trading game. card game, but right? But see, exactly. Like well, sometimes you get good, sometimes you get bad. But it's it just goes to show where the effort goes. So draft, right. draft. I would say the limited format is like their baby, and they want to make the best draftable limited format there is. And then they've and said that, yeah, James White. And has so said that's that. why these sets feel more so majestic. So maybe they should go to like. So they're doing four sets a year, right? They should just do four draft sets. A year. Yeah. Well, what if they did like the first three sets or draft sets? So the January or the March, you know, the summer, and then going towards winter, and then the set that comes out in like December, December January. Do all meme stuff would be like supplemental. a supplemental set because not as many people are playing in events and whatnot. I mean, that would make sense to me. Yeah, but. We're not here to, you yeah, know, I mean, arm chill. We don't own this. Yeah, we don't. But, but there is one good thing, uh, news to come out for Dusk and Dawn. That's what it's called. Dusk Till Dawn, right? Or something like that. The movie. Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, what? yeah. That's the name of the set. Really Dusk, good flick. Dusk Till Dawn? I think so, yeah. We got to Google this. Somebody, somebody Stand check by. that. It's probably from Dusk Till Dawn. From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> no. Let's go. Uh, but with that, uh, with that, they did come out and announce there's a tweet today for news uh, surgical extraction was misprinted. They accidentally went into the place of Registide and Dynasty, and they mm-hmm. came out and said that. And so what they said is they are going to be putting surgical extraction in Dust Till Dawn or the new Light versus Dark set, and they will be making it have the same amount of cards as Registide did uh, so that they could be able to pretty much have the normal number that yeah, out there in the wild of what that's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm just pulling up that article. I didn't know yeah. about that. So surgical extraction is going to be in... Dusk till dawn. Yeah, battles. it's 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 going to be a, a just a straight like copy paste. Like it's not even getting a dusk till dawn like identifier number. It's straight up going to be its same dynasty identifier. They're literally just reprinting so it to taking, get the numbers up. up a card slot and the amount of cards you get, but it is taking up a card slot. So they can do this, but they can't give me a new light illusionist card. Yeah, or or a new shadow room blade. It is dusk till dawn, by the way, which is amazing. All right, yep. so uh, everybody's homework tonight, if you haven't seen this movie, is to go check out From <sighs> Dusk Till Dawn by Robert so Rodriguez, fact, uh, produced actually, by Tarantino. Go put some AI over it and just make all the main characters just heroes of Wraith. Uh, watch the movie, not the show, by the way. There's yeah, a show that came yeah, out like 15 years later. Terrible. Yep. Watch the movie. Yep. Well, I feel like this has been very informative for the limited format and for draft. Uh, Jamie, thank you for coming out here. Oh, I love being uh, here, guys. Thanks for thank having you me. so much. But we can't leave without doing our semi-reoccurring segment uh, called Lessons Learned. Lessons Learned, everybody. Lessons Learned. And that is where we talk about the lesson we have learned in the trading card game of Flesh and Blood this week. Uh, so why don't we start off with Greg? Cool, because I'm really prepared to do this right, right now. Um, so, like, biggest lesson for me, I think, is um, is 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 really that it's okay to play other card games as well. Um, like, the, we we of course at bottom tier are are a more casual production, but there's a lot of people out there who are very very just like hyper focused on Flesh and Blood or Magic the Gathering or what have you, and sort of by f- like hyper fixating on that one thing, the blinders go up and you lose track of anything else that you could be doing. Yeah, I see you, One Piece. <laughs> one piece. You One Piece players, we're talking to you. Yeah. Soul Forge Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, like, the, the the biggest thing for me is just to remember that this is ultimately a game. Right. And we're, we're all ultimately here because we have a good time with it. And hopefully that means that we also enjoy other things sort of in this same genre of thing. Um, so spread your wings a little bit. Get out there. Give it a try. Doesn't matter if you're any good or not. 
jump in. You're going to rock it or you're going to suck at it, but it doesn't matter. If you're having a good time, that's what's the most important thing. Um, and I feel like if, if you just like focus on flesh and blood and just go flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood, then you're losing a lot of opportunity for other things that you may end up enjoying just as much, if not more. Like maybe this ends up not being your game and you're more of a Magic the Gathering player. You won't ever know that unless you play Magic the Gathering. So get out there and give it a shot and see what happens. You might be surprised. Awesome. I'll go next so you can have some thought on it. But uh, uh, my lesson learned this week is you are you get better by the people that sit across from you or your skill level goes up or down according to the person that you're playing against. Uh, this is like a kind of a lesson that's in everything like like sports to to trading card games. Never uh, to, be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, never be the smartest person in the room. Yep. But I feel like my game increased more when I have played against different people that have a different skill set than I do and the way their thought process. So like today, for example, Jamie, you were mentioning like, Hey, when you draft, make sure you say like pitch two reds, save it for later. I thought of that before. And, but I don't think I've ever heard like verbally Actually like done, done it. it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Oh, I, that's, that's a skill that you obtain and you'll learn from playing people that are great. I feel like my skill level and Greg's skill level has, are, are above average at times because we play against people like you and speak for yourself, <laughs> <laughs> people like you or other people in our community who are just really good at the game. So, uh, go out there. If you're only playing like against your friends, which are just like a couple people in your life, make sure you expand out there and play against some others. If you want to get better at the game, because it will help increase your skill set. So else awesome learned. It's a good one. That is a good one. I like that, that one. Jamie. Yeah. Uh, no, what, that's a what really you good got, point. Best. Uh, so, so my lesson learned, uh, this week is kind of about the journey I've been on with flesh and blood in about the last six months. Like I talked about how I went to the second pro tour in France and I went to mm -hmm. worlds in California mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I came into this game wanting to take this game very seriously and was like, I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to make the pro circuit. You know, I came from magic. I played magic for like 15 years. Uh, and after doing it, I found I didn't want to commit the time and effort required to it. So my big takeaway is that uh, remember this is a game and to play it for enjoyment first. Like nowadays, a lot of our local community is kind of slowed down with the uh, before this set comes out just because people are getting stale of the meta. But we have a, a solid group that goes to one of our local game store. Shout out Recreation Games. Uh, and there's this, this lovely couple that started joining me and my core group of friends and Honestly, it feels like we go there and hang out as if we were at a bar drinking, but we're not. We we go there to see each other, hang out, laugh, enjoy each other's company and have fun. And then we just so happen to be playing this card game, you know, and I'm not going to lie. Those days every Wednesday have been the most fulfilling uh like days of playing flesh and blood that I've had since I think I started it with tales of Aria. I kind of, I kind of lost track that this is a game that's supposed to be for enjoyment. It's not a career or like, you know, it, and it has to do with my personality. You know, I'm no Michael Hamilton, you know, like I, I'm sure I, I could, don't think anybody is right. Like I could dedicate time to it, but that's just not what interests me. But when I first started, I was so focused on doing well that I wasn't worried about enjoying myself. And now I care significantly i'll go oh three and i don't care because i had great conversations and laughed in every game you know what i mean so i i think it's important to like slow down remember that you're playing a game and you're the winner of this game isn't getting a million dollars and to have fun 
like like genuinely the highlight of my week is getting to come and play card with you and the guys and uh, and everybody else who comes and being able to sit down and do this podcast with you guys. Matt's over here is you know saying no 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 he right. hates all of us secretly. The the um, guy who cultivated a community of commoner players who yeah. everyone loves him and he builds yeah. pretty much every hero in a deck. It's it's de- it's <laughs> deeply unfortunate to be such a right. Such a star of the community here in the local community uh, when when really he he secretly hates all of us. But really, Matt, we love you, man. Jamie, we love you, too, man. Um, man. Everybody out there in the local community. I love you guys. Um, And and genuinely, it it, it makes my life better when we can sit down and play with one another um, just because it gives us the opportunity to really, you know, develop a friendship and to and and to stay in that sort of that that sort of mental space. Right. Yeah. Like it's easy to lose track of the fact that you're playing a hobby, essentially, and you're supposed to be relieving stress. Uh, and, and to just throw a quick like adage out there or whatever, like we have a couple local players, uh, I won't name names, but there, there's a gentleman who's a, a friend of mine. Right. And, and we were playing like competitively and testing and whatnot. And he, he would get frustrated and we were at an armory once and he'd just be like, I don't, uh, there's like no point in going to these armories because you lose one game. Uh, then you're not going to get the cold foil. You're going to get no EV and your day's ruined. And, it, and I was like thinking about that and I was like, well, if, if that's your goal, then yeah, all it takes is losing one game to ruin your night. And I'm not going to lie. I've had a couple of months playing flesh and blood where I was like that. Totally. But, but, but if one game is going to ruin your entire day, like maybe it's then time is to this step a hobby back and take a look at what exactly. you're getting out of this. It, which is what he did, which good for him. We like, you know, 100%. It's like, like, but you know, it's, it's that, but it's so easy to fall into that mindset too. And, totally. and I think we just need to remind we ourselves. Are, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's happened to all of us. Like, I was, I was pretty bad for a while where I was just like, must win the cold foils. I don't even sell them. I just keep them in a binder. And I'm like, I got seven ember blades, you know? <laughs> like, why? And now now I, I win a cold foil, and I'm like, hey, buddy, you want this? You play you play Fi. Like, you know, it, it's just a crazy, like, journey that i've been i love this game though and i'm glad for it thank you lss and james white this game is awesome well there we go guys thank you so much james white and lss thank you jamie for being here with us we really really appreciate it anytime guys remember to go out there and just have a good time no matter what you're doing Mm -hmm. have a conversation across the table grab an energy drink with your pals go out for a beer afterwards or whatever tickles your fancy i ain't here to judge um (laughs) but with that everybody i am greg and I'm Matt. And I'm Jamie. And guys, we are the bottom tier. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Good luck at your pre-releases if you're doing that. Good luck with your box polls if we don't talk before you get those in your hand. Uh, we will see you all next time. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. And remember to have fun. Toodles. Toodles.